Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about the Bechdel test or the Bechdel-Wallace test made famous by or really conceived by Alison Bechdel. But before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, you can see 300 episodes I already have up, more than that. If you like what I'm doing, you can like, share, subscribe. If you want to follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy or on Twitter at David Guigno. If you want to help me out, do all those things I just mentioned. You can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure to do that. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find it just in podcast form if you want it, just as an audio thing. Or if you found this as a podcast, you're going to be able to find the video of it on YouTube if you're into that at all. So yeah, let's jump into this simple yet extremely important term that Alison Bechtel gives us. Now it first comes out of one of her comics called Dykes to Watch Out For, but Alison Bechdel has written really uh, prolifically, but also just the sheer intensity and importance of the text that she's written. So for instance, she's written the graphic novels Fun Home and Are You My Mother, both of which I've read. I've seen the play, uh, a play rendition of Fun Home as well, and they both center on themes of Bechdel's family life and her experiences with her parents. Fun Home focusing more on her father and Are You My Mother focusing more on her mother. And they draw heavily upon psychoanalytic themes and other ideas like that. And maybe someday I'll do a more precise or specific exposition into those texts. But for now, from Dykes to watch out for, she gives us the idea that within cinema, but this can extend to all artistic production that includes humans, that there are very few examples of two women in a film talking with one another for something of an extended period of time about something other than a man. So the Bechdel test is just a test to assess whether two or more women in a movie or television series or anything, if two or more women talk with one another about someone or something that is not a man. That is, they're talking about something that relates to their lives. Now, there's the extra caveat that they should be named. So, for an example, or for example, you might see many films where two women will be like at a bar just talking about something that's just kind of background noise, but you're able to make out the words. That wouldn't pass. Well, with this qualification that they have to be named, it wouldn't pass. That is, they are not integral to the story. They almost just serve as filler. So it's also called the Bechdel-Wallace test because she credits her friend Liz Wallace for helping her conceive this idea. Plus, she is also indebted to the work of Virginia Woolf, who has, in her own writing many years ago, about a century ago, was calling attention to this problem within the production of literature. That is, it would always center men and men's experiences at the expense of women, where women would be relegated to the background or meant to exist only as supporting roles for men. Now, it's amazing how few films actually pass this test. Most of the films that you've probably seen, especially big Hollywood films, fail this test miserably, in that the women in the film, if there even are women, will only exist as supporting roles for men. They will just tag along, essentially. And one movie that really comes to my mind is Gone Baby Gone, in which Michelle Monaghan's character uh, is just like following around Casey Affleck like the whole time. It's very weird. She's like always there. She barely ever talks and she just like follows him around. 
that for some reason that one just popped into my mind. But even if a film passes the test, that is there are two women, and I don't actually know if Gone Baby Gone passes the test, there may be a moment in which she talks to another woman, but even if a film passes the Bechdel test does not mean that it's like not a sexist movie. Films like Die Hard and Grease, for example, that are extremely sexist are films that pass this test. So it's not in itself a test to determine whether or not a movie is sexist or a TV show or whatever is sexist. It instead is just a general indication about the relative inactivity of women's roles within film or television. So it is not a catch-all to determine all possible sexist rhetoric or whether a film is sexist, but it will tell us whether or not a film includes women in an active role as their own characters, which in itself is actually not even true. I mean, there might be women who just talk briefly uh, and they, the film will then pass the test, which signals just how low the bar really is. So even all those films that pass this test or TV series or whatever might still be extremely sexist. And the only feature, the only way they pass is because there's one conversation between two women that can be construed then as being more than them talking just about a man. They're talking about something else and therefore passes the test. Or two women might be discussing something that might not directly relate to a man, but might nevertheless relate to a man's quest, like something that will help the protagonist, the male protagonist, succeed in their journey or proceed through their journey. So really at its core, this test is like such a low bar as far as determining whether or not a film or TV series is sexist. It's a good starting point because likely if a film doesn't pass it, then you know pretty much right off the bat that it is going to be contributing to a culture of sexism that repeatedly excludes women from active roles within film, rendering them or just relegating them to the status of supporters for male characters. Now, there have been some pushback to this test. That is, some people have suggested that, well, all that it is trying to do is push a social justice warrior agenda, just trying to uh, include women, even though that's not what people actually want, or trying to force dialogue between women that you know would seem unnatural or something. But that is couldn't be further from the truth. What the test actually does instead is just show how deeply rooted unconscious biases within our society, within our world, that just seems naturally privileges male roles, male actors, male characters within film, even though, you know, there's no natural reason for this. As far as I know, the first humans didn't have video cameras and weren't making, making films or writing down literature. It is something that has come about culturally because there are many films that do pass, of course. So it's not like some kind of like biological imperative that people must follow where only men can occupy these roles. And the same applies not only to women, but to people of color. Are people of color in the film? Do they have an active role that is not just meant to support white men? Are there queer, gender non-conforming folk? What are their roles? Do they have active roles? Are all the characters heterosexual? Are all the characters thin? If we're going to talk about fatness, for example, why is it that only certain people get to repeatedly occupy the main, I guess, center stage of these films, of television series, and we see the recycling, or we see these figures be recycled over and over and over again, largely white men. And then if films 
not don't necessarily try to oppose this, but if a film opposes this, let's say like with the ghost new Ghostbusters or one of the new one that new ones that had an uh, entirely female cast or uh, the Oceans Eight film that has an entirely female cast, at least the central characters, there's a great amount of backlash treating it as though it only exists to be a response to a reaction to the original film that is seen as being almost naturalized, normalized, not anything to question, even though the original Ghostbusters is a garbage movie. And if this is the first time you've heard this, I'm sorry. It's just a bad movie. I laughed a lot more in the entirely female cast one. But in any case, whether or not that's your opinion doesn't really matter. The point being that there's just such resistance to trying to incorporate women in more active roles within film, treating it as though it is a forced development instead of just naturally reflecting the world. When of course these films and the way they are repeatedly made with men occupying the primary roles always comes to shape culture and to reinforce certain dominant cultural attitudes that appreciate men over women. And so we see the cycle continue and continue. And yeah, that pretty well covers it. I know that there are so many films that <laughs> I haven't talked about. I'll include a link in the description of a website that includes like all of the films that have passed and that those that have failed. If there's anything when you want to include that you think might be surprising, I'd love to hear about it. Anything I excluded about this term, I'd love to hear about it. And yeah, on that note, take care.